Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And we're live. And we're live, recording from the studio. My name's Nicola Matzo. <laughs> and I'm here with uh... Savannah Guthrie. <laughs> okay, well, um, it's great to meet you, Savannah. Savannah, what are we hearing right now from downtown Manhattan? What is going on today? Can you walk us through it? Um, what is happening is um, Nika and Anya are sitting in a bedroom, actually in Brooklyn, in Brooklyn, New York. Well, people often confuse it with Manhattan because it's just as interesting and, and cool. Um, I do not stand by that statement. <laughs> it factually is just as interesting and cool. Um, scientists have confirmed. I objectively think that's untrue but um. well um unfortunately that's a subjective opinion because objectively it is just as interesting and cool uh we're we are getting from the fact checkers that that is indeed true um uh-huh. yeah, and yeah. nika and anya are recording in anya's bedroom with a whistly little radiator and a irritable dog medium-sized dog and um, a an iced coffee being slurped right the fuck down. <laughs> I just, you know I have it's expensive. I'm, I actually thought this was the cold brew, um, but I have to get every last drop. <laughs> Mistakes. So yeah, that's that. Uh, this is my official uh, reporter voice. Um. So yeah, <laughs> that's like what's going on. Kind of back to you, Anderson Cooper. <laughs> that's the next uh, journalist's name I could think of. Back to you, Katie. My name's Barbara Wald. <laughs> um, Barbara Wawa famously hurt her feelings that um. SNL skit, sketch, whatever the fuck you want to call it, set, who knows. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? It's not a set. <laughs> no, that's whatever. for sure. <laughs> I don't know all these fucking fancy <laughs> comedy terms, whatever. A set is just fully stand-up, um, stand-up comedy. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. Do you know what I'm talking about, though? Literally no idea. They, in the, I forgot who it was on SNL in the 80s, um, did a sketch of Barbara Walters and, oh, oh, I think it was, it was, um... God, how could I forget? Gilda Radner. Gilda Radner did Barbara Walters, but she called herself Barbara Wawa. I'm Barbara Wawa. Um, like the Pennsylvania sandwich. Just like really exaggerating Cumberland the Barbara Farms. Walters speaks. And Barbara Walters did an interview with Betty Davis, like a very iconic video right before Betty Davis died or like, I don't know, a year or so before she died and asked Betty Davis, um about like being a gay icon because drag queens impersonated her so much and like asked Betty Davis how it didn't offend her because she was like very hurt by the impersonation on SNL and Betty Davis told her that um she's being a little bitch I mean you know in Betty Davis language she just said that she was never insulted because she felt that um 
It was like an honor. Well, what's the what's the the phrase? Uh, something Im- imitation is the sincerest form of flattery yeah. or something. Yeah, and she Betty Davis said that that's when she knew that she had really cemented a legacy when like the gays started um, like pretending to be her at drag shows. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. Barbara, Barbara Walters, um, where do you get off having your, your feelings hurt in the line of work you have? <laughs> yeah, but she's always been a very good journalist. You know, she's not like a Diane Sawyer. Okay. I mean, Diane Sawyer is also a great journalist, and I know people are mad at her because of the question she asked Brittany, but also it's like, it's the kind the of the job. people did want to know. Yeah, I mean, it's a job. I, like, have not really understood that, um, like, backlash. It's, like, strange to me. I mean, you can be a journalist that doesn't ask a, like, 22-year-old about, like, how they feel about the governor's wife wanting to shoot them in the face. I mean, listen, it's, like, you know, gauche and, like, inappropriate, but I I don't think it's, like, unethical or, like, by any means outside the realm of yeah. what journalists do. So it's just, like, but I agree with you, it but being it's gauche just... gauche and inappropriate is enough of a reason, I think, for people to not like it. Yeah, not liking it is one thing, but, like, I mean, the Twitter mob was, like insane and demanding an apology yeah like grow up like this is journalism sorry like it's i don't know yeah i'm like she's not responsible for what happened to britney spears it's like there's so many other people that are responsible it's not someone who like did an interview with her yeah no i definitely agree that the people that are coming after individuals even including justin timberlake um it's like not individuals faults what happened yeah it's a system it's like I mean, that's the that was the truest part about Justin's apology, which was not a great one. But it's, like, true that he just happened to be, like, benefiting from an already existing system. Mm. Like, it's not like Justin Timberlake on his own was able to, like, create a world that automatically thinks that in, like, a breakup situation that the girl's the slut and the guy's the, like, you know, yeah. victim or whatever. Like, he d- he benefited from that being how everyone already felt, but everyone already felt that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, I under- like, I agree that people... I-, I still think that individuals should apologize for their actions in an existing system, though. So even though I agree with you that it's not her fault, I, like... Yeah. I, I don't think that that, like, gets her off the hook. I just feel I like... I still think it was fucked up, the things that she asked her. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It was just... It's weird the way that, like, people... And by people, I mean, like, teenagers on Twitter. Because they're usually, like, 16, and I keep forgetting that. Frame these conversations. But it's also been from adults, too. Because, like, who was it? Uh, Billy Eichner or something? Yeah, Eichner. Eichner, however the fuck you say his name, was, like, tweeted something about Britney Spears that was... Something along the lines of, like, I forgot what... There were just, like, a lot of, like, sanctimonious tweets that, like, were really annoying me. And I think, like, everyone has a short memory of how we all participate in these... In this system of, like, tearing down celebrities. We all do it, whether or not we realize that we're doing it. There's so many ways in which we kind of help like help the system chuck along in my opinion so it's interesting to see people kind of try to remove themselves from it and then like find someone else to get mad at yeah yes and no like my my opinion on that is like individuals that are not part of the media maybe have and now that twitter exists we're all kind of part of quote-unquote the media but if we're talking about like whitney and britney (laughs) and you know all the itneys um like 
the, the, the time that that happened, there wasn't really social media, at least not how we know it now. And I personally think that like, maybe a middle schooler making fun of Britney Spears for shaving their head was like, you know, participating in that system, but not at all to the same degree. I'm not talking about kids. Yeah. I'm talking about like someone like Billy Eichner. Yeah. Who, he tweeted something like, I cannot remember what the tweet was, but the gist of it was basically like, um, not all of us were like not all of us were responsible something something kind of like trying to shift the blame onto like other people and it's like if you were like 17 or older at that point in time you were probably buying like a tabloid probably buying people magazine at the market like not realizing that you were actively participating in what was going on Mm -hmm. but you were unfortunately you were that's like you were putting money into the pockets of these people you were allowing the system to continue building itself. The obsession with freeing Britney is the exact same kind of like public obsession that caused exactly this in the first place. Exactly. Which like we're definitely participants in. Yeah. But um, you know, I think some people are cashing in on it more than more than others. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is, I mean, that just, Netflix doc is coming out. Though I personally think that ne- Netflix doc will like be important. Yeah, I'm not really like uh, people are like pissed about that documentary, and I don't really agree with them. But what are they pissed about? Um, it's more people trying to cash in on her story. Yeah, but it's like, dude, like literally, this document, like. First of all, people are going to cash in on Britney Spears' story regardless. I would rather it be from, like, the New York Times and Netflix than be, like, I don't TMZ. know. TMZ. Yeah, TMZ or fucking... Perez Hilton. Per, yeah, or even, like, I don't... Like, literally anyone. Like, Netflix and New York Times are both, like, very respected mm-hmm. in, in the arenas that they're both in. So, I'm like, cool. That's cool. Hopefully it, you know sheds more light on what's going on and has more of an impact. Well, hopefully, and it's unfortunate that this keeps being lost in the shuffle, but hopefully what this does more than anything, like, yes, hopefully it helps Brittany in her situation. But at the end of the day, even if she is a prisoner, she's like the most comfortable prisoner of all time. Like, her like Calabasas house or wherever yeah. it is she lives, and, like, like the private jet that she. Yeah, all like the she time. like it sucks, but it's also like you know there's bigger fish to fry in this world yeah. as far as like freeing people. Like it's you know we were just in the streets about like defunding the police and prison abolition. Yeah. Like there's obviously, and I think even Brittany would agree with that. <laughs> I think even Brittany would be like she kind of has been like thanks guys, but also like calm down a little bit. Yeah, um, and you know people are like someone else controlling her Instagram and even if that's the case my point still stands like it's not the end all be all situation I hope obviously it gets better for her but if nothing else this should be an opportunity to talk about predatory and exploitive conservatorships in any capacity because she's not the only one yeah and like you know especially in the like disability um, discourse and community, people are like, hey, so great that conservatorships are being talked about. This is actually something that, like, is taken advantage of all the time with people with different mental and physical disabilities. Yeah. Um, let's talk about that. 
because the the like legal problem of like not being able to get your own lawyer and not being mm-hmm. able to contest certain things without other rights being taken away. Like with Britney, it's like rights to her children. Yeah. And with other people, it might be something else, like the Ugh. right to like work the job that they like or something. Like it's like they they kind of dangle the things that are important to you over your head and say that like um that contesting your conservatorship doesn't look good yeah for these other things that you want and it's she's not the only person yeah no totally that's in this situation yeah. and like so i think that was left to be desired in the new york times documentary yeah I so it would be cool if netflix kind of like took the opportunity to be like yep sucks what's happening to britney totally free britney but like conservatorships in general need to have like a full-blown audit <laughs> like somebody needs to do a deep investigation of like how conservatorship law is um navigated because this happens too often where someone is literally trapped in a conservatorship yeah and they're paying and and with britney and other people who might have a lot of money like maybe elderly people that have like an estate mm-hmm. they're paying for their conservators lawyers yeah Britney's paying all of these people's salaries for the last, like, 10 years. So none of them stand to gain anything from letting this be, like, a speedy situation. And she's not the only one that's in this situation. And then also people who don't have a lot of money. It still sucks (laughs) when they're in a conservatorship that um, is controlling them too much. Anyway, that's, at least from what I've been gathering on Twitter from, like, the disability activists that I follow and the like mental health like corner of um, Twitter. That's something that a lot of people are like, Hey, can we take this amazing opportunity to discuss that? No. (laughs) And the answer is no. No, sorry. Next. (laughs) Next. Um, And then somebody was like, now it's time to talk about Amanda Bynes conservatorship. And I'm like, I kind of think she does need that. Well, that's actually. so that's like another thing. Me and my sister were talking about this the other day and she was like, oh, well, she was like, she's always skeptical of these like groupthink mass movements, yes. which I am like, I agree with, even yeah. if it chaps my ass sometimes. Um, <laughs> and it's, she, good, it's good to, you know, ponder about yeah. what the other argument could be when yeah. everybody agrees on something. And she was like, well, like, one, what if Britney, like, maybe needs a conservatorship that's just not run by predatory people? Mm-hmm. Which, like, I kind of agree. I love Britney Spears, but she's not all there anymore. It's, mm-hmm. like, clear that, like, what she went through was extremely traumatic and, like, lasted Mm -hmm. and has had a deep impact i don't think anyone can deny that from like looking at what she the content she posts on instagram and twitter um and then also yeah like the amanda Bynes situation like yeah conservatorships are definitely super predatory it's something i need to like look more into before i can have like a very solid opinion about but someone like amanda Bynes definitely needs a conservatorship she blew through almost her entire uh, fucking her almost all of her money that she had made from being an actress in like what two years because she was 
so mentally ill and like unmedicated. I mean, she would like throw a bong out of her window. Like, yeah, I mean, there like there's so much stuff about the Amanda Bynes case. Like, and she is also not all there anymore. I no, mean, it's really I sad. I watch her Instagram all the time. I don't know what happened. But like something, something. I mean, like just the way that she talks. I'm like you seem like she seems like she had a psychotic break and like never fully came back there's a youtube channel that i watch um called psychology in seattle and it's the psychologist that kind of like reacts to things that are happening in like popular culture like he's reacted to like trisha paytas stuff Mm -hmm. and um that was really interesting and so he reacted to the entire britney new york times documentary and um his basic takeaway You know, I recommend watching that whole series of videos because they're really interesting. But his takeaway was like, listen, we don't know. It could be that Britney really benefits from a conservatorship. And that can kind of be proven by, like, how much her life changed for the better when the conservatorship started. Does that mean that the current people in charge should should be the people in charge? Well, clearly no, because if you look at all of her court documents that are available to the public, like, she has not yet asked to not be in a conservatorship. Exactly. She only is asking for her dad to be removed from it. Yeah. Um, and he's like, and it's also, it's like, we're kind of forcing her hand in a way that really isn't fair. Like, she has to come out now and either say, everybody, stop asking for this because I have this mental illness and she'll have to officially like out what, what it is that yeah. she's been diagnosed with True. in order to get people to lay off. Yeah. Or she needs to just be, like, in the spotlight about this thing and have everything forever scrutinized, that it's somebody else that's doing it. It's, like, another... I mean, I remember I was in the One Direction fandom, (laughs) not to brag, and I learned so much about conspiracy theory groupthink while I was a One Direction stan, because I was a a Larry shipper. For those of you who don't know, there's like a whole subsect of the One Direction fandom that believed that Louis Tomlinson and Harry Styles were (laughs) secretly in a relationship. And I was one of them. And and you know what? Like, honestly... (laughs) If you, like, look through all the evidence and stuff, like, I still kind of believe that at one point they were, like, sexual or, like, in love or, like, you know, there's just yeah. something there. But unfortunately, the everybody's obsession with it and everybody's obsession with proving it and obsession with saying that the management was forcing them to hide it and, like... It became so out of control and so big that it ruined their friendship. Like, Mm -hmm. Louis and Harry, at least publicly, are not very good friends anymore. And they used to live together. They used to be best friends. Which is also, you know, part of the theory, obviously. Yeah. But, um... And I just remember, like, I had such intense confirmation bias about this that, like, it didn't matter what Louis and Harry said directly from their mouths. It didn't matter that they, like, had girlfriends. None of that mattered because everything was part of the conspiracy to hide it, you know? Everything was part of the conspiracy to, like, that management set up these girlfriends so that they didn't know that, like, so that their fans wouldn't know they're gay. And, like, there's, like, some quote from Lance Bass because they had the same management as NSYNC where, like, Lance Bass, like, I think just offhandedly like an interview interviewer was like, what do you think about the rumor that like Louie and Harry are together? Like, is it possible that one of the One Direction members is gay? And I think all he said was like, well, like obviously they didn't let me come out. So it's definitely possible one of them is gay. You know, like he just like said something along the lines of like, yeah, it's possible. Mm -hmm. 
And like, and he confirmed that management didn't let him come out. And like, that was enough for everyone to be like, forever, anything that is ever said again, it's all a conspiracy and a lie to cover up that these two are in love. And I can't help but take that experience that I had um, and apply it to the Free Britney movement a little bit. Real, yeah. Because every little thing that she posts on Instagram or anything that ever happens, it's all like... Well, the conservatorship isn't letting her use her own Instagram and like the conservatorship won't let her use her real voice in her songs and like what or or management or her label won't let her do this or that or they controlled her from the beginning. And it's like definitely certain things are being controlled, but also Britney is a brand. Yeah. And a like an enormous public figure and pop star. And guess what, y'all? Not just Britney, but every single musician that is like a global star has a team of yeah. people working around that brand yeah. and making decisions like... for the brand. That doesn't yeah. mean she as a person in in every single situation is being like controlled like a puppet. Yeah. I mean the whole the whole like renewal has been interesting like the even like now like the feminist article you know the f- feminist adjacent takes via like articles for vanity fair or whatever the fuck that are coming out now that are being written about Britney that are like trying to push back against the New York Times documentary about like oh well actually like she wasn't ever empowered it's like everybody has like <gasps> everybody has you know such a fine or such like a, a an objective which is actually subjective opinion or take that like they think is the end all be all truth yeah and it's like you're literally like I don't know if you know the article I'm talking about I forget yes. who wrote it yeah the I like oh how like young women actually are never able to be in a position of power and it literally made me want to like throw up reading it because yeah, I was I like you know it. what I was never a teenage girl I don't fucking know like I wasn't I didn't come out until I was 21 and I was also I've never been a woman in a position of like immense power and public scrutiny so who am I to talk but it was such like an infantilizing yeah. weird fucking article and I'm like so what is it like what which is it? which is it and also like maybe it's really like None of it. It's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, it's like everybody, it's like you're literally doing what was done 10, 12, 13, Again, 14, 15 years ago. everyone's picking her apart. Exactly. Yeah. For their own gain, their own fucking byline. And I'm like... And for to, to push their own agenda. Like, yeah. all these people are using Britney to prove their point about this is how society treats women. Yeah. Like, all... And, you know, there's some truth in that. Like, of course, there's elements of Britney's story that are, like, a direct result of misogyny and how, quote-unquote, how society treats women. Yeah, totally. But, like, it's... She, it's more complicated than that. She's an individual. Yeah. And so it's like, maybe, maybe the truth is that like, she was a 16 year old that liked being sexy and predators. She's a fucking Sagittarius. Of, of course she liked being sexy. But you know, like people are making it no, one or the other. I know, I know. And, and it's, it's crazy. It might be both, y'all. It's, yeah, it absolutely is both. Well, I, I mean, that like really has always made me angry. I'm so tired. And it's like, really, that's, that's like been a, I think it's been a direct impact of the Me Too movement really kicking off is that, like, there has been such... I feel like there's been such an environment that's been created now since the Me Too movement where it went from, like, survivors of sexual assault feeling empowered to tell their stories to now this, like, weird culture of, like, older women. And not, I don't even mean older, like, 50-plus. I mean, like, you know, women in, like, their 
20s or women in their 30s, etc., like in the media, trying to create this environment where like now girls never have agency. Yeah. Like, young girls have no agency. Yeah. And it's, like, you know, being applied to Britney Spears now, which I just think is bullshit. And, like, we cannot have it both ways. Like, uh, we can't, like, both, like, be, like, sexually empowered girls and women. And then also, but actually, we have no agency. And we're just, like, weak little fucking babies. It's, like, very strange to me. And I, like, really don't like it. And it, like, has made me, like take, like, feminist off of my, like, mantelpiece <laughs> for the foreseeable future. Yeah, no, feminism as um, as a whole is, like, very embarrassing to me these days. Obviously, all the things that it's done up until now, I've been, like, you know, it's been necessary. I don't know if it's necessarily needed to come from a movement that is so, like, fragmented into so many different things. Like, feminism... Feminism to me doesn't really make sense anymore now that I have a little bit of more of like a, I don't know, an aerial view of it. Now that I'm like kind of looking at it from a distance because I'm not as like deeply like I'm a feminist part of it. It's like none of you agree with each other. Yeah. Like there's so much about feminism that is like, you know, uh, trans exclusive, sex worker exclusive. Yeah. There's white feminism, there's, you know, like, lesbian feminism, there's all these different, like, types of feminism that, like, don't, like, you know, are either born out of a necessity because the original feminism didn't have a space for them, or it was born out of, like, but anyway, back to me, which is kind of what white feminism is, it's just all, like, why are we still using this word? Nobody is using it for the same thing. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense to me anymore. No, I mean, it, yeah, it's like we're so I don't know. We live in such a different world than we lived in, you know, even like 15 years ago. Yeah. It's like I Yeah, I think it's it's just it's not a movement that I really want anything to do with. Um and I have my own values and like ideals and beliefs regarding gender. Um that and like you know gender empowerment but like not to be like mm-hmm, i'm not a feminist i'm a humanist but like kind of yeah like well, at this kind point of, kind yeah. of yeah like I've been, <laughs> yeah actually i'm sorry like cancel me yeah well patty it's... smith said that in a quote and i like saw it and was like huh yeah well, i mean dolly parton <laughs> says that yeah and everyone's like dolly parton's our feminist queen and she keeps being like i'm literally not a feminist <laughs> She's, like, multiple times, like, denounced the word feminist. And there's all these, like, feminists that are, like, well, it's because she doesn't really know what feminism means. And it's, like, well, so is she your queen who knows everything? Or is she so stupid she doesn't know what feminism is? Which is it? I'm, like, I'm sorry. I kind of, like, stopped wanting to be involved in the feminist movement. One, when I transitioned, mainly, because y'all suck. But (laughs) also, just, like, again, this infantilization of, like, young girls and young women that... I just find to be, like, so chaotic and distressing and weird. Yeah, it's really upsetting. Yeah, I just... And um, it's also, like, it kind of forces you to, like, reframe certain... It's almost like they're, they're, like, putting... They're strapping us into a chair and asking (laughs) us to, like, reframe our own memories into trauma. Yeah! When they, like, when certain ones, like, really weren't. Yeah! They're like, no, it was actually you were being groomed. Yeah, I'm like, no! I literally wasn't. Yeah, I guess what, when I was 16, I was fucking guys that were in their late 20s and I was having fun, and I don't (laughs) there's nothing about it that I look back and I'm like that was trauma like 
It wasn't. Yeah. I was just horny. I was a teenager. And yes, I was able. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm yelling because I'm getting so annoyed. I was able to make that decision for myself. I don't care if I was 16, 17 years old. I was fully capable and I knew what I was doing. Yeah, there have been certain times where I've kind of caught myself using the cop out of like, well, I was 21 and he was whatever, like 30. And like, so it was like, you know, I would just kind of use that to excuse my own shitty behavior in a yeah. situation and be like, well, he it's his fault for like getting involved with a 20 year old. And then meanwhile, being 20, I'm like, I remember being 20 and being like, it is so infantilizing that people say shit like yeah. that. And I've like caught myself doing it to yeah. my past self. And I'm like, why am I doing that? And I'm like, oh yeah, because like, I mean, and here's the thing. I want to make absolutely clear that I do think that there are like 30 year old guys that are absolutely predatory to like recently adult young women totally. and young men. Totally. And like, you know, if there's a history of somebody like, purposefully seeking out people with less life experience than them and like yeah. purposefully seeking out like people in certain vulnerable situations, whether it's that they're young or whether like it's not young people are not the only people that are, yeah. that are targets of predatory behavior. Like there are different things that make you vulnerable to it. And there are predators out there for sure that take advantage of those vulnerabilities. Yeah. But I think it is very reductive to say that like a 19-year-old and a 30-year-old can't have a mutually beneficial and perfectly ethical relationship with each other. I think yeah. it's I think it's deeply infantilizing. I do too. I think it's just like it's it's so fucking weird to me. I'm like you all just need to like go fuck more, I think. Well, like, no, I'm you know what it is? And I've been guilty of it too and I'm trying to catch myself doing it going forward, but people project their own traumatic experiences onto the people around them. Yeah. And I think there's just like, there's just people out there that had a really shitty situation when they were 16. Myself among them, not all of my situations were, were chill, but a lot of them were. Yeah, no, <laughs> But same. like, um, that then they're like, well, that's what this, that's what those situations are always yeah it's just weird because it's like even like now extending into fucking friendships like i saw someone tweet that like <laughs> james charles. about james oh yeah so james charles is 21 and his best friend is 16 and someone was like that's proof that he's grooming people what the fuck is wrong with everyone like when <laughs> i was 16 years old my closest friend and her boyfriend deirdre and kevin were she was a freshman in college and he was a junior in college and I would hang, so they were, you know, in their twenties. I would hang out with them all the time. We would smoke weed together, whatever, watch fucking True Blood together. And like, it never, my friends were always older than me until mm -hmm. I hit my twenties. Like, and no, I was not being groomed. Like, yeah. it's just, it's crazy. I'm like, I don't, I don't know where this stems from. People are just miserable, I guess. I don't know. But it's like, please go have more life experiences. <laughs> I'm begging you. Yeah. I mean, I, I have like complicated feelings on it just because like, you know, I was in a kind of, um, not kind of, a abusive situation when I was 12 with a 17 year old. And like, that is to me, like, quote unquote, obvious that that's a fucked up situation. Yeah. But I'm like, you know, maybe like, 
I like from other people's perspective, maybe the like 18 and 22 year old thing is also equally obvious to them. It isn't to me at that point. Like, I do think it's different. It's so different. But, but it's also like my thing is informed by my trauma. And so yeah. like their maybe their opinion is informed by their trauma. Well, but I personally at 18 was fucking 30 year olds and having the time of my life. Also, you're like a normal and healthy and like smart, good person who like <laughs> understands that your own opinions are informed by your own specific set of trauma and then you don't go and make that the fucking catch-all for everyone like that's the difference like yeah I definitely had a few experiences with older gay guys when I was a teenager where I thought that I was in control looking back I'm like okay so like that experience or that experience actually was predatory but does that paint how I view it like how everyone else should make their decisions and choices no it's just it's like it's, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm, like, a more of an individualistic person. I don't know. I don't think so. I just think people are fucking bored. Well, people are obsessed with rules. It's so yeah. funny because it's the same defund the police, abolish prisons people that are, like, lock yeah. up every 25-year-old that's kissed an 18-year-old. Or, or like, like, go to therapy. Like, <laughs> to therapy. But, like, if you're so obsessed with, like, you know, laws and rules and stuff, you do have to kind of analyze what it is you think should happen when these rules are broken. And, like, how you reconcile that with, like, it just, I mean, but it's it's true. We live in a fucking society. So yeah. to take it case by case is harder. You know, like, rules are helpful because there are literally billions of people. <laughs> and it's hard to be like, okay, each individual case, we're going to take on a case by case. And it also, that, the case by case thing gives a huge window to predators. Because predators can really paint, like, without rules in place. Like, I understand why people want the rules so badly, but it does kind of... I understand, but I, I just don't... Agree. Or, I don't agree yeah. at all. Like, I... But not to be like, oh, triggering, because everyone overuses that word. But I, like, truly think that, like, I do get triggered by these conversations, like, primarily from the background of being a queer kid who grew up in Catholicism. Yeah. And Catholicism... I mean, I went to Catholic school for 17 years of my life. Like, they're everything's about rules and morality and sexual purity. And like, I remember being made to feel like a deviant for like my sexual experiences. And so when I see like people who are like, ACAB, abolish the police, like we're all queer freaks, like replicating a system that like I left and like want nothing to do with Catholicism, replicate that same system of morality and rules. It makes me so livid because it's like, it's so weird. It's also, so like, weird. it's so funny because, I mean, it's a tale as old as time where th- when people disagree, they go all the way back around to agreeing yeah. with each other. And it's like, yeah, of course, the people who are, like, in defiance with Catholicism and with puritanical views end up just swinging all the way back around to their own puritanical, like, Catholic-esque rules. Yeah. But, um... You know, did we learn nothing from Catholicism? What's, like, the biggest fucking abuse of power scandal of our generation? It's catholic priests and like obviously these like quote-unquote like hyper vigilant puritanical like rules mm-hmm. don't work yeah the abuse still happens in them like maybe we should talk about where the abuse is coming from rather than just trying to play whack-a-mole with this like that's to me really the problem rather than like dealing with like the 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 places where predatory and abusive situations come from which is like just our shared trauma as a society mostly like just our obsession with um 
you know, repressing people, I think is where a lot of like the shitty situations come out of. Yeah. And people being abused themselves become abusers. Like rather than healing any of that, we're just trying to like, oh, this is a predatory situation. This is a predatory situation. And we're just like putting tape over a like broken windshield. Yeah. (laughs) And then we're like, how is all this wind getting in? I'm, I'm like so sick of these like weird absolutes that like all, everyone has decided are now true on Twitter <laughs> yeah. and online. And it's like, it, it makes me feel crazy when I get mad at it. Cause I'm like, oh my God, am I like that Being cliche? aged out? Yeah. Am I the cliche of like, you get more conservative with age, but no, like, but they're getting more conservative. Exactly. No, well, that's, and then I'm like, no, you're getting more conservative. I'm actually regressing. I'm yeah. actually, I'm getting more progressive with age. <laughs> you're psychos. Yeah, and it's, it's so weird. weird. It's, and it's it's just like... And just as a mother, <laughs> as a mother of a son... I am going to make the executive decision right now that this was both of our hot take and we're only going to do a, a mistake and keep saying Yeah, great. This, but it was is, my hot take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. James Charles was going to be my hot take. Yeah, because so. I just think it's like very obvious that we just went off in a very hot take <laughs> yeah. way and I'm like, I don't really have anything else it's to same. say. <laughs> okay, it was going to be about age gaps. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, but yeah, anyway, to kind of wrap this up, put a ribbon on it. Every generation brings in a new thing to think about that the previous generation <gasps> didn't what? Oh my god, wait. Were we, like, we're, oh my god, we're, because mal- you know how, like, there were the, there was, like, the silent generation, and they were super conservative, and then the boomers came, and they were the hippies, yeah. and then it was, like, Gen, like, are we the hippies, and Gen Z? Is the silent generation, is or like, whatever? Or, well, no, because what came, what came after oh, that oh. was, like, the later boomers, so, like, the later half of the boomers who were, like, are, mm. like, my mom's age, who had, like, the Madonna whore complex. Yeah. That, like, so, are they, oh, my God, are they that? I kind of think that, I think yeah. they are. Well, not all of them. Obviously, like, I I don't want to join the club and speak with absolutes, because there's a lot of Gen yeah, Zs I mean, that, I'm, like, yeah. agree with us. Yeah. And there's a lot of Gen Zs that are, or and maybe don't agree with us on literally everything we're saying, but at least agree. And a lot of millennials that disagree with us. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm not going to paint with that broad of a brush, but, like, in general, I'm noticing Gen Z becoming more and more conservative, especially when it comes to sex. Yeah. And I think it's just, um, you know, the pendulum swinging or whatever. I think it's also... They really don't, like, they just didn't experience the, like, amount of, like, repression and slut-shaming to the extent that we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I do think we are just, you know, we're the result of our own experiences. And I think we are seeing the world differently than they are um, because we are kind of... Are, we're living in in reaction to that experience. That's why I compare it to the hippies. Yes, that's basically you know the hippies. Yeah, and so I, so I actually I'm not going to discredit a lot of the things that Gen Z feels like I, I I'm just so open to those conversations. Also, I agree. Like I said, I do think that there's like predatory shit that happens. Yeah, and I'm I do not discrediting think, Gen Z, but they're wrong. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> no, but but it's like I tech, I agree with a lot of the things they say, but I'm like I agree in a more nuanced way than yeah, they're saying. They make them. it so broad and. So that to me is really where the problem lies is that, and also this is a, the first time that two generations that were raised on the internet now are sharing the internet together. Yeah, That's never yeah. happened before. True, true, true. Before this, millennials were on the internet as the only people that were raised on the internet and everyone else was kind of yeah. like subject to our terror, you know, yeah. like we were like, we reigned supreme <laughs> yeah. and now Gen Z came in and I, I say we, because I do 
I am a millennial, I think, like, in experience and culture, even though I was born in 96. You're and so, a millennial. You're I, a millennial? Yeah. No, I, I do feel I am, like, as Great, in just, my, in as my lived experience. But anyway, <laughs> Gen Z came in, and as, they were also raised on the internet. And so now, as, like, young adults and teenagers, they are sharing the internet with all these adults that were also raised on the internet. And the thing that the internet does that no other generation before us has had to really deal with is the, like, the Twitter problem of just, like, speaking in absolutes, mobbing people that disagree with you, yeah. doxing people that disagree yeah. with you. I mean, it's, it is... It's psychotic. It's, but, like, we're, we are two generations now with that being the way we t- d- discuss things. Yeah, I And mean, now we're discussing them together, and there's just no productive, nuanced conversation that comes out of, like, TikTok, Twitter... Instagram infographics, you know, like it's all absolutes because it's now like multiple generations of people that if you say like even something a little bit different or you're like, what about maybe thinking about it this way? Everyone's Mm -hmm. like, oh, so you're a male rights activist. Well, I mean, I like was truly so, so, so nervous to post the Cameron Caskey tweet that I put up a few weeks ago. He's one of the Parkland survivors. Mm. I met him at, like, um, a Sandy Hook memorial, like, gun organizing event um, when I was still living in Rhode Island, like, two years ago. I met him, thought he was cute, thought that he was, like, one of the older kids and that he was, like, going to college. Long story short, I, like, kind of was flirting with him. And then he revealed that he was 17. And I was like, oops, and, like, walked away. And so I tweeted about this in a funny way with, like, a photo of me and my friend Kat and him um, from an article I wrote for Teen Vogue. Um, (laughs) And I was, like, so nervous that, like, Gen Z was gonna, like, see it and mob my Twitter and, like, call me, like, a predator. And it made me so pissed. And I was like, ew, the fact that I have to, like, feel this way, that I'm, like, gonna get called a predator for something that is, like, such a normal experience of, like... (laughs) that happens where you see someone hot in public, you talk to them, and then you find, like, obviously not everyone has had this experience, but it's pretty fucking common when you're out and about. Well, especially when you're also young. Yeah, I was... You were, like, a 40-year-old Yeah, I was 23. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, all right, well... Mistakes and keepsakes. Mistakes, keepsakes, and hot takes. Okay, my keepsake this week... Um, I watched It's a Sin on HBO Max, and it's, like, one of the best fucking TV shows I've ever seen in my life. It's a miniseries about a group of queer friends in the 80s in London. The show takes um, place between, I think, 81 and 89. And so over the course of six episodes, you, like, watch them through those years as the AIDS epidemic slowly starts to consume their community, um, and, you know, normally AIDS dramas can be kind of very, like, uh, they, you know, there's plenty of important AIDS stories that have been told, obviously. But I think often there's, like, this overlying sense that this is nothing but a tragic story. Yeah. And it's, like, kind of trauma porn. Yeah. And what I found so amazing about It's a Sin is that it really focused... It focused more on this, like, amazing group of friends and, like, the real joy that they experienced together and the real joy of being a young queer person that's, like, experimenting sexually and, like, meeting new people and making new friends and how that um, 
still existed in the AIDS epidemic and the way that queer people actually really triumphed. And like, that's what the story is really about, even though a lot of the characters do die and it is fucking heart wrenching. Obviously, it's not like they're like, actually, everything is fine. Like, they're not doing that either. And none of us got AIDS. And none of us got AIDS. The end. <laughs> wow, we're so lucky. This whole group of friends completely skirted that. They moved to the Lake District. Um. So, you know, it's like it's it, of course, deals with the the genuine tragedy of of um how the. AIDS epidemic was so grossly mishandled back then and mm-hmm. and con- continues to be. The fact that there's still not a cure is insane. Like, what did it take? Six months to find a vaccine for COVID? Yeah. I mean, obviously, huge triumphs have happened in the medical community with HIV and with AIDS since the 80s. But it is just, like, wild to me that it's still technically an uncured illness. Yeah, I mean, that's probably it's- what's going to happen with COVID, to be honest, is that we're going to learn how to... Yeah. It's not going to go away. No, I, but what, I guess what I mean is like they just so like, um, aggressively tackled COVID because it affects everybody. Oh, yeah. No, I wasn't disagreeing with you. I, I and, agree with that. And like because it primarily impacted gay men, trans women, and, uh, marginalized communities in like Africa. Yeah. And like drug users. Yeah. Everyone was like, Mm, yeah, that a- sucks. Absolutely. Um, so it definitely it deals with all of that, and it's it it like doesn't shy away from the tragedy of that horrible crisis, but it doesn't just kind of like revel in like you know, just like dying sick people in bed, like every other AIDS movie I've ever seen. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've heard good things about it. I I saw one piece that I'm interested to read that was like. The- the title was like what the show got wrong and got right about like the AIDS epidemic. Yeah. Um, written by like a queer person that I want to read. There's, I mean, um, you can, there's like plain as day things that are like dr- dramatized, yeah, you know, but I haven't heard like the criticism didn't see like, it didn't seem like the criticism outweighed the, yes. um, it seemed like it was an even kill. Well, there's thing. a lot about the show that is like obviously written with hindsight. Yeah. Where it's like, like there's a moment where like this character is given condoms because he's presumed to be straight. And then mm-hmm. he like laughs and like throws the condoms away. And it's like uh, right before AIDS okay. happens. LOL. And like, there's like moments like that where it's to make the audience, uncomfortable and like because yeah. we know what's coming and yeah, he yeah, doesn't yeah. um and so there's like you know <laughs> when you write stuff like that yeah. not all of it is going to be truly accurate you're never like you don't ever get anything 100 right but i would like to watch it because i um i'm not right now i have no desire <laughs> to watch this right now but i do want to watch it eventually but yeah it is my keepsake because of how deeply moved by it i was and like you know the whole idea of our keepsake is it's something that we're going to carry with us and like that show, the the things it made me feel and the things it made me think about, I don't think I'm, like, going to shake for a really, really long time. Yeah. So I highly recommend it. Um, my mistake this week. Um, I mean, okay, shoot me. I said to not let me ever say this again, but my sleep schedule is absolutely oh. fucked. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't stay out so late, Anya. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it, regardless of if, uh, you and I are getting drunk together or, um, if I'm just at home watching It's a Sin by myself, I stay up till 7am every day now. 
Yeah. And I got it. I just I can't stop. I'll sometimes I'll fall asleep at like 11 p.m. I'm like, oh my god, is it happening? Is it happening? Am I gonna sleep? And then I wake up at, at, like at 1 a.m. wired. And have you I, tried like a sleep aid, like melatonin? Yeah, or... I have. I have all of that shit, wow. and I use it all the time. That's crazy. And it kind of just makes me groggy until I just mm. finally fall asleep at 7 a.m. Yeah. Part of it, I just should. I should get the screens out of here and just read before bed. I think. Yeah, maybe. That's my next plan of action i also haven't really tried to fight it honestly yeah like i haven't really like because what am i what else am i doing right now anything that i need to do during the day pretty much i can do at night yeah and so then i just do it at night yeah no i got it (laughs) i got it um like i'm still awake during business hours so even shit that i need like errands i need to run i'm like awake by like 2 p.m yeah so i can still go do everything like it's not like i'm strictly 100 nocturnal but (laughs) It is starting to feel that way. So that's my mistake. I know I said um, that I would only ever say that as my mistake once because otherwise I'll say it way too often. But I feel like I've said enough other mistakes that I've earned this one to say it again. You know? I agree. Your turn. It's been like a really uneventful week. Um, So I don't like have a huge keepsake. Um, Oh, really? You don't have even one keepsake? Why? What do you think my keepsake should be? What are you getting at? Oh, no. Is there something that someone gave you that you might keep? Oh. <laughs> yeah. So Anya finally gave me my birthday gift. Um, <laughs> finally. Uh, it was a month late, but that's whatever. I ordered uh, it in, like, January. No, it's fine. Whatever. Okay. It's fine. Etsy, um, Etsy can be I'm joking that way. Yes. Anya got me a beautiful Little Women-inspired uh, linen dress. That I cannot wait to wear. Um, <laughs> I'll probably try it on tonight when I get home. I'm very excited. That is not something I would have bought myself, but it's something I'm always looking at on Etsy. So yeah, that'd be my keepsake, because I literally get to keep it. <laughs> um, what's my mistake of the week? Um, honestly and truly, my mistake of the week is that for the first time since we've been friends, I felt a pang of jealousy towards you last night. And then I had to go home and be like, excuse yourself right now. You need to calm down. But I woke up and was just like, so annoyed with myself. And was like, (laughs) I cannot, like just like talking, just like hovering over my body being like, I cannot believe (laughs) that you would act that way. Um, Yeah, you know, it was going to happen eventually. So... What what was the jealousy? Just that I'm friends with your friends now? No, not at all. No, I. everyone thinks that that would make me jealous. I actually love that. No, I'm a sexually entitled brat. And I got up from the couch and was just watching um, how cute you and JP looked together. And I was, like, marveling over your chemistry. And then my Scorpio placements were like, wouldn't it be great if you actually got mad about that instead um just literally (laughs) that's it like none of it was rational none of it came from a place of like any like i was fully aware in the moment that it was so silly and dumb but i just haven't felt that way in so long for Um, context for backstory Nika and I since the beginning of our friendship have been like it's so great that we don't have the same taste in guys at all and that is true when it comes to straight Straight guys guys. (laughs) but where it gets tricky where it starts to get a little sticky in our friendship is the queer men that we're both in love Love with with. 
And one of them being our friend JP. Um, shout out to JP. And we love you, JP. Who openly is into both of us back. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... Uh, I think it's funny because in JP's head, it's like, oh, it's so cute that we're all like flirting with each other. <laughs> and in my head, it's that way too. But I did notice that you were like, hmm. Oh my God. I wasn't even trying. I mean, that's like, I was so tired, but that was part of why I left. I was like, I need to go put myself to bed. <laughs> that was um, the issue when I first met the fairies. I had that like big mental breakdown that I've told you about um, on the mountain where like everybody was fucking, but no one was fucking me because <laughs> I, the only reason no one was fucking me is because I wasn't actively trying to fuck anyone yeah like i was like, but why is nobody yeah, picking me yeah and everyone was like girl because you're not putting yourself out there yeah. you can't just like mope around half naked expecting that people are gonna fuck you because that would be like sexual harassment yeah if they like tried to you're like not putting out any yeah you're not putting out any feelers you're just like getting <laughs> yeah. really fucked up and then sobbing yeah that no one wants to fuck you because you're ugly um, oh. <laughs> which I didn't even feel at the time. Like, I knew that was not true. Um, <laughs> I'm just, yeah, it's weird. Oh, we love a little drama queen. Oh, I'm such. You have not even seen my most dramatic <laughs> side yet. We have, um, a lot for you to see about me. This is why I just don't, like, um, this is why I don't drink just on, like, I don't only drink alcohol. Mm. Like, if I only drink alcohol, I get really possessive and, like, sad. Yeah, well, that's what alcohol is. I Well, that's why I love stimulants, because I don't yeah. feel that way. When I'm on stimulants, I'm like, mm, and kiss. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone, fuck. Yeah. Be friends with each other. Yeah. But when I'm drunk, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> yeah. What do we think the fuck up of the week was? <clears throat> um, uh, I oh, I mean, I would, uh, I would say Biden um, opening up a detention center for migrant kids <sighs> would be the fuck up of the week. Yeah, I read more about that, and I'm starting to change my stance on it. I'm realizing that the detention center, quote unquote, is for kids that came unaccompanied. Mm -hmm. And you literally, like, legally, if there's a child unaccompanied, you can't just, like, send them out into the world. Yeah. I don't know what's going on as far as maybe they're supposed to meet a relative, and maybe they're, like, preventing them from meeting those relatives. Like, maybe that's the case. But from what I understand, it's not the same as... Um, not, no, not to defend Biden, first of all, mm -hmm. but I think Twitter has kind of taken it out of context. And because Trump separated families and children, um, like the, the automatic assumption is that that's what this is too. Okay. And this is literally just like kind of a boarding school situation for kids that came unaccompanied because they can't legally put them onto the streets because they'll get like sex trafficked or like just be homeless children that would suck yeah they can't put them into the foster care system because they're like not u.s citizens and that's a whole weird legal bureaucracy thing um and the whole point is that they're waiting for them to be like picked up by an adult on like either side i guess either mm -hmm. side of the border but in the meantime they're keeping them in these Yes, detention centers, because legally you can't put a minor just out in the world without a guardian picking them up. Mm -hmm. So, like, so yes, they are being held there. They can't leave. But, like, only in the same way that, like, kids can't leave any situation without a parent or guardian. Yeah, I mean, maybe the fuck up then would be, like, the uh, just, like, <clears throat> acceptance and, like, almost, like, like 
weird celebratory reaction by liberals. Yeah. Because it's like they still don't belong there. There's still sexual abuse that happens in these detention centers. It's like there are kids still in cages on the border. Yeah. No, I absolutely am not defending the whole situation. I I just think that Twitter wasn't really talking about it properly. Yeah. Because it's not not kids being taken from their parents and then put into these situations like they were before. At At least what they've told us. Maybe that'll be, you know... There'll be an expose. Yeah. So what do we think the fuck out of the week was then? <laughs> I don't really know. I mean, um, Biden fucking... Oh, Cuomo. That could be a fuck up. Of oh, week. yeah, sure. Yeah, a second, um, a second uh, aide just came out and accused Cuomo of sexual harassment. Yeah. It's not assault. Important yeah. distinction, everyone. Um, <laughs> One of our listeners sent in that... Um, Someone compared BTS to COVID, and that was, like, super racist. Compared what to COVID? The, like, Korean boy band. What? How, the South Korean. That that they're, like, you know, they're, they're like, inf- it's an infection that is spreading across the globe, like, the obsession with them or something. But I also... Oh, I know what know. you're talking about. I didn't actually read that tweet, but they, yeah, they tagged us in it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I agree. Like, that was very stupid of this radio personality to compare a, like, Asian boy band with an Asian, like, a, a quote-unquote Asian virus, a virus that started in Asia uh, yeah. that people are like very um being racist about especially at like a time where like, like fucking, hate crimes hate against crimes Asian people is are up, so high so high yeah I mean at least in the states I don't know about the rest of the world but yeah and the the, the I think that radio host was German so maybe they're not as aware of what's happening over here but I, they should be but like don't be German and say racist shit. You can't just be German and say racist shit. <laughs> like, no, but seriously. It's like, um, <laughs> don't say racist shit much. no matter who you are, but when you're German, it's like, shouldn't you, like... Isn't it your country's whole thing that you know better now? Isn't that your whole fucking thing? No, Angela Merkel, come on the pod. We want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. All right, we have to edit this way down. Okay. But, great. Great. We did it. We did it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Listener mistakes. This is a fun uh, little mistake that our friend um, Victor sent me in my DMs. Um, it's just this like chunk right here. Cool. Oh, hi, Victor. We love you. We love you, Victor Carlesi. Um. Okay. It says this is a mistake, and you can use my name if you want it for the pod if you want you for the pod one time i accidentally ate my sister's dye pill for a uti i guess they make these yellow dye pills to color your urine i'm actually totally unsure now of why someone would need that and i ate it off the counter thinking it was an m&m but it tasted so insane like i coughed it up but the pieces got all over my face and hands and arms and dyed them yellow so i missed the bus before school that morning <laughs> oh 
We love a quick little inconsequential mistake. I love I that. mean, I guess the consequence was that you missed the bus, but you know, like long term, that's a very <laughs> silly mistake. Um, as a UTI frequenter, I will say that the pill um, <laughs> that you're referring to uh, isn't like it's not just dye. That's just the color of the thing that makes it not hurt um, when you pee. Like whatever the chemical is that helps it not burn when you pee just happens to be like bright orange. I don't think it's I mean, maybe it is the dye itself that does that, but it's not because it turns it orange. It just happens to turn it orange. Yeah. But Victor, imagine now (laughs) having experienced um, it getting all over externally. Imagine what it feels like to take one of those pills for the first time, not knowing that it's going to turn your pee that color (laughs) and then peeing and it being the brightest orange you've ever seen. Um, Because that it it happened to me. Nobody Uh told me. Um, Yeah. And apparently it makes your insides like your entire digestive tract like bright orange for a few days. But you just like don't know that, you know. That's cuckoo. <laughs> you can't see it. But it works. I mean, it doesn't cure UTIs. For those of you who might be experiencing a UTI for the first time after listening to this podcast, and you're like, oh, I'll just go get those orange UTI pills. It is only um, for relief while whatever you're doing to cure it does it, what it needs to do. It's literally the only point of those pills is to make your pee not burn when it comes out anymore. Um, it will not cure your UTI. <laughs> Do not only use those pills. Get antibiotics or you will get a kidney infection. And um, it, I almost, it, I almost uh, had to be hospitalized for a kidney infection because of that. And don't just drink cranberry juice for the love of God. Uh, <laughs> okay, that's my UTI um, <laughs> PSA. Is that coming in, that sound? I don't know. Sorry, everyone. My um, sister's making me coffee because I am uh, brutally hungover <laughs> today. It's over now anyway, so whatever. But if you heard that, that's Nika's coffee being, being grounded. Being ground grind- up. <laughs> grounded. Ground up because I did MDMA last night <laughs> and this morning and I feel like shite. Yeah. Absolute shit. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm already jacked up on caffeine, so um Ugh, I have been in bed. That's why I'm the the perkier of the pod right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry guys, but you know, this is what you get. You got me when I'm at my best, you got me when I'm at my worst. <laughs> if you can't handle Nika at her adjusted MDMA, <laughs> you don't deserve her at her uh in the middle of doing MDMA. <laughs> <laughs> you don't deserve her um, crawling around a floor with a blanket on top of her <laughs> doing poppers <laughs> saying you guys fuck <laughs> I did poppers guys I love poppers <laughs> by the way anyone else <laughs> right into the pod famously have never used them for sex have only used them for fun for fun yeah same but also <laughs> Yeah. All right. My deep dive. Yeah, girly. What is it? What's your deep dive? 
Um, so my deep dive is informed by um, this mistake finally coming to a close this week. After five months of dealing with this mistake, um, and it's also the mistake that inspired this podcast. Oh, yes, yes. Um, so it's not that deep of a dive because it happened within the last year, but whatever. So when I was staying at my mom's house um, for a few months this year, um, my dog was with me there. And um, my dog is an angel and we love her. We stan her. But she doesn't love other dogs. Mm. She, they make her anxious. Um, and she's never gotten into like a dog fight or anything. But um, yeah, she's just uh, not a dog. She's not a dog's dog. She likes certain dogs. She likes dogs that are like, quote unquote, in her pack. Um, but yeah, she doesn't love other dogs. Um, and while I was staying at my mom's house, um, you know, in New York, <laughs> there's like the door to your apartment and the door to your building. And it's like, there's just not a lot of ways for your dog to escape. Um, but in Vermont, there's just the the door to the outside. And um one day my dog saw a squirrel through the screen door and she jumped through the screen oh my god and bolted and i was like this is not going to be good <laughs> and i ran after her and i like got to her right as she was um uh, like right as she had just arrived at the neighbor's dog which was in an unfenced yard because I think they had like one of those underground electric fences. Mm. And um, my dog did not by any means like maul this dog. It's like they just kind of, it was a, like mutual combat as they call it. Like they just um, met each other, did not like each other. And they both sustained injuries from the altercation. But um, my dog just happened to uh, when like my dog, she ended up having like, um, a bite on like her neck and on her eyebrow from the other dog. And I think they gave each other the exact same like severity of like injuries, but my dog just happened to bite the other dog's ear and oh, ears man. are not, uh, as sturdy as like a forehead or whatever, yeah. you know? So unfortunately she ripped the other dog's ear, um, like her tooth snagged it. And I turned into this whole thing that was terrible. And obviously I felt like this huge fucking like failure of a dog owner that like it didn't even occur to me that my dog could like break a screen and then like this could even happen. Um, and the other dog owners were like horrified, obviously, because this random dog ran into their yard and like ripped their dog's ear. Mm. And the dog ended up having to get like surgery on its ear and it turned into just like a fiasco. Um, and I paid all of the other dogs vet bills. Um, I immediately sent my dog to this like training camp to help her with like her anxiety around other dogs. Cause you have to understand, like I've always been very careful to just like respect her issues with other dogs. And then like, just, like when I introduce her to another dog, um, it's very deliberate. Like I just, you know, I've always been in control of that situation. So yeah. this situation being um, where she just ran and like it was not, no longer a situation I could have um, influence on. 
it was kind of a wake up call where I was like, okay, I need to like deal with this, um, in a, like with a more professional training and thanks to OnlyFans, I actually had the money for it. This is something I've been wanting to do for my dog for years, but, um, you know, could not afford sending her to a like three week doggy boot camp until this, this year anyway. So it's not like I just was like, Whores win again. <laughs> yeah. It's not like I was just being neglectful of that. It was just like, I literally couldn't afford it. And then it just so happened that, um, the thing, the catalyst of being like, okay, well now it's not just something I would like to do. It's like, it seems necessary to do. Um, it coincided with when I actually had the money to do it. Um, and I think that I handled the whole situation very responsibly. Like, you know, I paid the other dogs vet bills. I like sent the people and the dog, like a little care package. (laughs) Um, I sent my dog to this like training camp. Um, I, yeah, like, it was very stressful. That week was one of the worst weeks of my life. Like I I was just so stressed out and felt like I had failed my dog. Um, because when you have a dog with behavioral issues, it's just, it can be really hard when something goes wrong. Like you're responsible for this animal. So it feels very much like it's like, it's your mistake, you know, which is why I'm talking about it yeah. as a a mistake. And the, that's, so this, this all, um, finally ended this week. Also the other dogs totally fine. Um, the people were very gracious and like, um, you know, we're on good terms. (laughs) They're not mad at me or, um, whatever, but, I guess like a neighbor called the cops on it. So I got a ticket for having a, like, um, a nuisance animal. <laughs> and I finally had my court date for that ticket. Cause, um, I wanted the ticket to be dismissed rather than paying for it because I paid like $5,000 by the end of all of this on this incident. <laughs> Cause between the other dogs, vet bills and my dog's training, I was like, you know what? I feel like I've paid restitution on this already. I yeah. don't need to pay a fucking ticket. Um, especially when the other dogs owners have like made it very clear that they forgive me and they don't want and when Buffy is perfect like and Buffy is like literally the perfect dog outside of this one quirk (laughs) that she doesn't like other dogs and now I just know to be like way more diligent and careful about really you know not Buffy is JWoww (laughs) (laughs) yeah Buffy is JWoww That's and true. I'm <laughs> that is just uh, plain and simple. That's, that's we, true. We were trying to figure out what she'd sound like if she could talk. That's what she that is. Sound like. Oh my god, that's so accurate. <laughs> but anyway, I had the court date over the phone this past week, and um, the animal control officer that gave me the ticket um, told me that like I uh, handled the situation um, like above and beyond anything he would expect anyone to in that uh, scenario. And that like, um, that it was just very obviously like a horrible accident. Like it wasn't due to like negligence or like me being a careless civilian. Um, and that was just very nice because, you know, that's, I felt, I felt like I was a piece of shit that week. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of nice to, I mean, a cab, but it was nice to hear this person, 
Also, I feel like an animal control officer isn't like really a cop. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was just very nice about it. And then um, it's, you know, you remember like you remember that week I was absolutely losing yeah. my mind. And that's when we thought of this podcast because we were like, wouldn't it be nice to like hear about times that people have dropped the ball on something? Yeah. Um, cause I kind of really needed that that week. <laughs> I was like, I just want to hear about, um, someone else being in a situation that was avoidable and, um, now they're paying the consequences of not avoiding it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so now I'll just never leave my dog with just a screen between her and the outdoors. <laughs> and, um, and you know, she's much, chiller now she still doesn't love other dogs but we now have the the tools in place to like de-escalate in a way that without professional training I was um, a little bit out of my depth anyway so that's my deep dive um the ticket was dismissed the other dog's fine his ear healed perfectly I feel like even cosmetically it looks fine I, I from what I understand um and yeah and Buffy's a better dog because uh Oh, and and that training place was amazing. Also, I love those people. Um, Balanced Canine in Connecticut. If anyone's anyone's looking for a reasonably priced like three week training program, Um, they're really great people. It's like a couple and they like so clearly know what they're doing and like love dogs. And um, and yeah, they were so they were such a like emotional help for me during that, too, Mm -hmm. because they had seen the worst of the worst. You know, they had like dogs come in that um, were, you know, about to be put down because they had bitten too many people or whatever. And like Buffy's never bitten a person. Yeah. Um, So they were like, hey, we know that you're freaking out, but like we need you to know that this is like very low level (laughs) and you're not a failure (laughs) and we're going to help you with your dog. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) Anyway, and shout out to my dad. My dad was a huge help through all that, too. So yeah, that's my deep dive. It's over after five months. Congrats. Thank you. And yeah, Buffy's JWoww. <laughs> Buffy's JWoww. Well, you know, um, much like, um, as you said, it was an, uh, an avoidable um, situation that you then had to pay the consequences for um, and that you learned something from, much like the story of uh, Anna Delvey. Best mistake. Our best mistake this week. Our best mistake this week, a.k.a. Anna Sorokin. That is her actual name. Um, or like, you know, her, her her birth name. Her actual name that she goes by is Anna Delvey. Um, for anyone who either doesn't really know who this is or is like, huh, that name sounds familiar. Who is that again? She was dubbed as the the Soho scammer, um, wannabe socialite by the New York or by Page Six. Um, in 2017, um, she, um, went to prison for scamming, um, mostly banks, but also like very wealthy socialites in New York out of thousands and thousands of dollars, um, over the course of living in New York for two and a half years. Um, she's originally from Moscow, raised in a town outside of Cologne, I believe, in Germany, um, and comes from like a pretty normal family. 
Um, certainly like did not come from a lot of money, but came from her family owns a business and like she came from enough money that they were able to pay her rent and her tuition. Like they, they paid for her life when she was in college. So she, um, went to school in Paris, um, started interning for a, um, a fashion agency while she was there in a fashion magazine. She's always been very interested in fashion um, and somehow made her way to New York. Um, and as all great scammers do. As all great scammers do. Um, <laughs> and I'm just going to pull up um, the article. So I, everything that I'm like talking about today, I found on Wikipedia, but then also <laughs> found actual stuff um, in the, the greatest source of information. The greatest source. But this, uh, most of what I found is from um, Harper's Bazaar, which um, I'll talk about that article in a little bit. That's from the perspective of her ex best friend, who she like really fucked over and scammed, um, Rachel Williams, who is a photographer for Vanity Fair. Um, and then, where is the other article? And then the other article is from The Cut. It's called How, um, what is it? How Anna Delvey, where did it go? How Anna Delvey Tricked New York's Party People. Um, it came out in 2018. It was written by Jessica Pressler. Um, and it she like interviews Anna Delvey in it a lot. Um, but there is a chunk in here that I just would like to pull up. Where did it go? I just had it. Um, let's see. Where are you? It gives us like a little, basically, um, she, okay. Oh, here it is. So, um, Anna Delvey was staying at the very famous, very expensive hotel in, um, Midtown. Um, I don't know why it's not giving me the name, but it's at 11 Howard street. I'll look it up. I, it might be called 11 Howard actually. Oh yeah. That's yeah. Okay. Great, yeah. <laughs> okay. Great. Yeah. That's it. Um, so she was, uh, living there yeah, as early as <laughs> February 18th of 2017. Um, and she basically set up her camp there. Um, she, she became fast friends with um, this girl, Naf, who has also been interviewed, and they're actually still best friends, which I think is really funny. Um, Naf is a younger black woman from Crown Heights who was working as a concierge at the hotel and basically quickly became friends with Anna Delvey. Anna Delvey would like hang out in the lobby and would like hand, would hand Naf like $100 bills every day and be like, where are the cool places to hang out? Like, where, where are the important people hanging out? And Naf, like, talks about how she was, like, at first I was, like, oh, okay, this is actually very normal. Like, a lot of wealthy people who live in hotels like this do, uh, you know, they will give you, like, exorbitant amount of money for information. But she quickly realized that Anna actually already knew where everything was happening, like, who the cool people were, what was going on. She was basically just trying to buy Naf's time. She like wanted someone to talk to. So she was slipping her this money and they quickly became very close. Um, and Naf goes on to say that like, obviously part of the reason they became so close is that 
she was getting all this money, <laughs> but that there was this like genuine connection between the two of them. Yeah, like a sugar baby. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, literally. Thank you. Yeah, you're speaking my language. I understand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I genuinely like my sugar daddy, yeah. but also probably wouldn't hang out with him if you didn't give me $300 every time. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> to be clear, he gives me more than that. But <laughs> um, so... Anna Delvey was, she like quickly makes a name for herself in New York and she like creates this whole, this whole like backstory. She comes from um, very wealthy Russian parents. Her dad is an oil business model in Russia, but other people, she tells other people that her dad is actually um, like owns like a solar power company in Russia so it's like the details are always kind of murky, which like kind of sets up the the stage for people are going to quickly find out that she is a scammer <laughs> because she's giving people different details. Um, God, so, you got to watch something like Sneaky Pete first if you're going to scam people. You got to keep your story straight. Seriously. Um, so... She she like sets up camp in the hotel. She starts having these like business meetings in Le Cucco, which is the restaurant um, connected to the hotel. And basically what she was doing is that she was preparing to launch a business that was like a Soho house type club. She wanted to start um, like a huge art club with locations in L.A., London, Hong Kong and Dubai. Um, so Naf becomes her secretary and starts like organizing these business lunches and dinners. Um, and she has people like Martin Treckle at these dinners, like very, very wealthy, uh, like uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. I forget. Oh. Yeah. So he becomes her the Leonardo DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> the, I think it's um, something. And his 40, 25 year old girlfriends. <laughs> it's something Cohen. But he like becomes her lawyer essentially and okay that's <laughs> yeah as a recipe for disaster yeah, becomes her lawyer and helps her scam banks out of money whether or not he knew that she was scamming banks out of money well see based on his ethics it would yeah. seem like he wouldn't really give a fuck oh jordan belfort oh okay I right? don't know what... isn't that his name Okay, yeah. I don't know why it said something about a Cohen in this. Article. Well, maybe it's Jordan Belfort. It's his name in the movie is his real name, right? I don't know. I haven't seen that movie in years. I'll check. Um, let's see. Where is it? Yeah, that's his real name. Okay. Um, so the pers- the first person that she like really uh I'm not even going to say fuck over because, like, these are the richest people. So it's like, honestly, go off queen. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, yes. But the first- Nothing but respect for our troops. <laughs> uh, the first person that she allegedly scams is um, someone that she meets um, after she... So after a gallerist at Pace introduces her to this person whose name is Michael uh, Zufu Huang who is an extremely young, extremely dapper collector and founder of Beijing's M. Woods Museum. Anna proposes that they go to the Venice Biennial. And he's like, all right, cool. So they're like getting ready to go. And she's like, oh, but actually, can you put it on your credit card and I'll pay you back? I'm having an issue with my credit card and like my trust fund is being weird. Because she tells everyone that her money comes from a $60 million trust fund. And because rich people don't like to talk about money, everyone's like, okay, Like, that's fine. We're not going to press you on any more details. 
But she, this is like when she starts doing this. So this is the first victim. So they go away or like, you know, victims, whatever. They, uh, they go away. She never pays him back. They come back and he's like, hmm, she still hasn't paid me back. And he's like seeing her at functions. He's like seeing her spending money. He's seeing her going on trips. And he's like, okay, what is going on? Like, (laughs) as as you're telling this story, I'm having flashbacks to the fact that I never paid you back for that Thai food like four weeks ago. (laughs) But I mean, I feel like by now I've paid back in other things. But like, what if Nika's just telling this story to be like, Anya, where is that $25? (laughs) <laughs> where is it no I'm telling the story because I was actually the Anna Delvey of Providence Rhode Island <laughs> on a much smaller level my roommates were like just, why are you on vacation you haven't paid your rent yet <laughs> but every like every time every detail of the story like Nika looks up from her phone at me like <laughs> sound familiar <laughs> Does, do the words still haven't paid me back yet mean anything to you? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Um, so <laughs> I'm, the, I'm like the Thai food scammer of Ridgewood. <laughs> Just going around getting my friends to buy me Thai food. <laughs> and you're like, I'll get you back. What's your Venmo? Oh, weird. My phone isn't loading. <laughs> oh, my God. My trust fund's broken. Um, <laughs> my favorite part of like what um, this guy goes on to say is that he says, uh, so he says, she seemed like she forgot that she said she'd pay me back. It wasn't a lot of money, he said, like two or $3,000. After a while, Huang kind of forgot about it, too. Literally makes me want to put a gun in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, two, it, like $3,000 wasn't a lot at all. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh, my God. But it goes on saying the article, when you're super rich, you can be forgetful in this way, which is maybe why no one thought much of the instances in which Anna did things that seemed odd for a wealthy person, calling a friend to have her put a taxi from the airport on her credit card, asking to sleep on someone's couch, moving into someone's apartment with the tacit agreement to pay rent, and then not doing it. I guess rich people aren't used to having broke friends. They're not used to like, huh, why would someone need to sleep on my couch? That's weird. Well, they say maybe she had so much money she just lost track of it, which apparently uh, Emma Watson was famous for doing when she lived in Rhode Island. I knew someone who is now dead who like was who managed. Well, because we can't like, you know, get her to corroborate it. Yeah. Meredith, who she was medic. She was my neighbor. She, um, like ran the condo association that Emma Watson lived in when she went to Brown and Emma Watson would call her and be like, Hey Meredith, um, I like, I like can't find um, my money and I owe the driver um, outside. And Meredith would be like, you're a million. Like where the fuck is your money? We just never had like kept track of it. So that's just a rich thing. A rich people thing, I guess. It's Leviosa, not $5,000. So at this time, um, and this is still 2017 or early 2018. At this time, Anna Delvey is like still the it girl. So she's like still friends with hundreds of people. She's still having these like really crazy parties and dinners at Le Cuco. Um And then the shit hits the fan in January when Anna hires a PR firm to put together a birthday party at one of her favorite restaurants, which is Saddles in Soho. And Huang goes to the party, even though Anna still owes him $3,000. He's like, yeah, I'll go, whatever. So he goes to the party and 
um, the restaurant that the party is at a few days later messages him on Instagram and are like, hey, we saw you tagged in some Polaroids with Anna Delvey at this party. She owes us money. She didn't pay the fucking bill for this party. Can you get in touch with her? And he's like, oh, fuck. She's a scammer. <laughs> like, this all makes sense. So that basically, uh, her whole kind of, like, social life comes crashing down. But, like, no one rats her out. Like, because I don't, I think, honestly, everyone was too embarrassed to admit that they'd been scammed by her. So they just ostracize her and move on. Mm -hmm. So she continues uh, on her. Also, this was 2016. Sorry, everyone. She uh, continues on her scam train. Um, And what she starts doing is that she... She starts getting, trying to get loans from banks across the country. So, like, one of them is a bank in L.A., one of them is a bank in New York. And what she does is that she forges, she basically, like, forges paperwork. So, she, like, tries, say she tries to get a loan for $100,000. She forges paperwork to be like, well, I have the 60000 so you can give me the rest. Like, here's collateral and the banks, because she is so good at scamming, are like, okay, sure. So then she goes, she gets the $100,000. She deposits it into a bank. Before it can uh, bounce, she closes it out, <sighs> takes the money, the bank fee overdrafts. So she's just like scamming overdraft fees and loans from banks for like upwards of a year and a half. All the while, iconic. Honestly. The Wolf of Wall Street lawyer is helping her do this. Um, I also, I'm like, she's only fucking over rich people and banks. Exactly. So I'm kind of like, I love it. <laughs> Question mark. Yeah, I mean, that's how that's how I feel. Um, and so she, she, um, the main reason that she. I think it needs to be said is that the main reason that she is like scamming these banks, at least what she says, and a lot of it is kind of like proven by the whole process, is that she wants to open up this art club uh-huh. and she really wants to lease this building on the Upper East Side. And it's like she needs like $25 million to do so. So in her brain, and she goes on to say this in interviews, like, yeah, she was scamming, but she was scamming because she had a vision for a business. She wasn't scamming because she wanted like she she really resents that like the the page six called her like a wannabe socialite. She was like, I didn't give a fuck about these people. I just wanted their contacts. Yeah, like, I wanted to start my own empire. I wanted to be a business bitch. And that's how I was trying to do it. But it was never about her trying to like be like a Kardashian, mm. even though she was also living that lifestyle to an extent. Um, so, well, yeah, it's a comfortable lifestyle. It is a comfortable lifestyle. Um, so then so I don't know how she manages this, but basically how the Howard 11 Howard, the hotel that she's been living in for like months kind of overnight realizes that she doesn't have a credit card on file and never has. She never checked in with a credit card on file. Who let that slip through the cracks? Well, what happened is that, and again, I'm like, you guys are fucking morons. <laughs> what happened is that when she checked into the hotel, she told them that she was going to have a um, a money wire transfer sent within a month. 
And they were like, okay, cool. We'll take your word for it. Which I'm like, why the fuck would you let someone move into a hotel on the basis of, yeah, I'm going to wire you money in a month. Yeah. Isn't the whole point of putting a credit card down also so that if they bounce out of nowhere. Exactly. Yeah. What? Yeah. So this, they end up fine. By the time they realize this, she owns the hotel. She owes the hotel an upward of $30,000. So NAF, they, they pull aside NAF and they're like, you're friends with Anna. What's going on, dude? And NAF apparently is like, oh, fuck. Like, what is happening? Um, Mind you, NAF says that she had already had a little bit of an inkling of what was going on because they had gone out to dinner. The bill was like $230 and none of Anna's credit cards were working. And NAF was NAF was like, basically was like, I was sick to my stomach that I had to pay this bill. It was like, I don't even make that much yeah. money. And she was like, but I also understood like in the context of this friendship that like it was my turn to pick up the tab. She had given Ugh. me thousands of dollars. She had spent money on me. She'd been a good friend. So I just did it. And she did it. And the hotel asks her what's going on. So she calls Anna and she's like, Anna, what the fuck is going on? And Anna tries to skirt around it. So Anna leaves, goes to get her stuff, leaves the hotel, checks into another hotel in, in Manhattan, and then leaves for Morocco. <laughs> And decides to go to Morocco with, um, who, who is the woman's name from um, from Vanity Fair that I was just mentioning? Who has like the movie rights to this? I um, need to Shonda Rhimes. <laughs> oh. I know. <laughs> I She's mean, making a Netflix limited series I do love it. Shonda Rhimes, but I don't necessarily want Shonda Rhimes to tell me a true story. No, I I want agree. Shonda Rhimes to tell me a like, you know, way out of this world <laughs> like soap opera esque story. That's what I trust Shonda with. Though it is, a, I mean, the cast is apparently very good. So I am a little. Well, I guess is she maybe just producing it because Shonda just produces so many no, other things. No, she. Um, is it just it's like created and produced by Shonda Rhimes? It's called okay. Inventing Anna. It's going to be um, on Netflix, but there's also one that's going to that's in development on HBO, and there aren't any details about that one yet. All right. Um, sorry, I'm trying to find. Yeah, no shade to Shonda. Love, love what she does with uh -huh. fiction, but I don't, I don't. I'm not sure. I want to see uh, nonfiction. Yeah, I don't either. Um, sorry, I'm trying to find this person's name again. Rachel. Anna, tell me what's your name? Um, oh, sorry, Rachel Williams. So. As I said, like Anna loses all of her friends, right? And so her circle becomes really, really tiny and it becomes a um, like celebrity, um, celebrity personal trainer and like life coach. And then Rachel um, and she and Rachel's a photographer for Vanity Fair. They like meet at some kind of party in New York, become really fast friends. Rachel talks about like, you know, there was always something up with her. She was like a weird girl, but she and she was a weird girl. She was very rude. She was like very brash. She was kind of a bitch. But she also like there was something endearing about her that made you like almost want to like protect her. Mm. So they become friends. The three of them go on this trip to Morocco and Anna, Anna frames it as being like, oh, I just need to get out of the city. Like, oh, I just need to get out of here. Let's go on a vacation. Because I'm being kicked out of this hotel. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you that. And I also have no money. So they go on this vacation. And um, 
Rachel is like, okay, yeah, we can go on a vacation. Why don't we get some like uh, off season tickets to Turks and Caicos or maybe the Bahamas, like somewhere I can afford because I don't have money. Like I just worked for Vanity Fair. I don't have savings. Um, So, I mean, like she lives in a one bedroom in the West Village. So she has like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not like typical New York kind of girl. Um, Very Carrie Bradshaw. And. So and I, and I couldn't help but wonder, <laughs> is my best friend a scammer? A scammer? <laughs> so Anna's like, oh, don't worry about it. I'm going to pay for the whole thing. We're going to go to Morocco. We're staying at a hotel that is, it's like, I think uh, it was like 7,000 a night or something. Like maybe even more. This like, uh, it was something you would see like the Real Housewives of like New York City stay in if they were like on like a group trip for the show. Mm-hmm. Like really, really decadent. Somehow she gets Rachel to put it on her Amex and she's like, Hey, can you actually just put this on your American express? I'm having problems with my credit card, but I'm, I'm going to wire you. I'm going to wire you the money. Like right when we get back, like, don't worry about it. And Rachel was like, Rachel goes on to be like, in retrospect, I should not have done that. But in the world that I lived in, worked in, that was actually pretty normal. She was like, I would often put like really big expenses on my Amex and then people would pay me back and it was like nothing had happened and it was fine. So, and I trusted my best friend. Oh no. So they go on this trip and within days, the personal trainer gets, um, gets sick and goes back home. And all of a sudden these, like what they describe, what Rachel describes is like these two like goons, like scary goons and, Morocco who like work for this mansion whatever show up and are like hey girly um (laughs) so something kind of weird your card is not going through um or not that we don't have a card on file for you and um what's going on babes like you you need to pay for this so she puts it Rachel puts it on her credit card and Anna is like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I'll pay you back. It is $62,000. No. More than this poor woman makes in a year. Oh, my God. $62,000. So they get back to New York. And obviously, Rachel is feeling fucking uneasy and it's like <laughs> obviously she's sweating yeah uh, $62,000 <laughs> oh my god so she spends like a week trying to get in touch with Anna and Anna keeps giving her the runaround and she's like dude like what the f- like what the fuck something is up this reminds me of one time my friend um like you know, we were on the road doing comedy together and he needed to go home sooner than I needed to go home. So, um, for like an audition or something. Mm -hmm. And he was like, Oh, like my, my card isn't working. Like my paycheck hasn't come yet. Um, and he was saying this, like, and we were like with friends of mine, Mm -hmm. um, in the town we were in, uh, and my friends were like, oh, I'll I'll pay for it. And I like knew immediately that if my friend like this person that my my friend doesn't know pays for this bus ticket, they're never getting that money. <laughs> and so I was like, fuck, like I because ha- it wasn't like they were going to gift him this ticket. They're like, oh, I'll cover it and you can just Venmo me. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. 
<laughs> I'll pay for the fucking bus ticket. Um, Cause I just couldn't like stomach. Cause it was like a pretty expensive bus ticket. Yeah. Not like $62,000. No, was, I got it. But for our demographic. <laughs> yeah. It was $62,000. It was $62,000. And I just remember, cause it was also the day of bus ticket, you know, like, like yeah. not like a month ahead of time bus fare, but like day of, Oh my God. And it just, uh, it reminds me of, um, like, because <laughs> I was broke enough that I, <laughs> I hounded him to pay me back for that bus ticket for over a year. To be fair, this friend has since um, made a comfortable amount of money and has like treated me to many dinners and yeah. bought me many drinks. And like he never officially paid me back for the bus ticket, but at this point it's been paid back. But I just remember just like knowing that he was about to like scam my friend. Listen, you know, some of us just have the part of our brain that we need to like go to therapy oh, for. And I'm one of them. I also get it. I just was like, I can't, I can't witness this and let no, you do I this know. to my friend. I'll be yeah. the one who gets. I can't scammed. do it anymore. But like, I'm so drawn to Anna Delvey, honestly, because I did shit like this on a much smaller much smaller scale. Much smaller scale in yeah. Rhode Island. Yeah, um, I get it. And obviously these people were not wealthy, but I was like, well, you make more than me, bitch. Oh, yeah. Um, and you like fucked up. <laughs> literally would like go to bars and like knowing that there was no money in my bank like in my checking account and like would rack up a tab of drinks and oh like leave enough cash for the bartender for tips but then like go so that they were getting their tips but then go home and cancel the debit card <laughs> yeah um uh, but you know what that's on the bank so um, <laughs> mm-hmm. sorry I'm teaching you me and Anna Delvey are just teaching capitalists a lesson um so what basically what happens is that they get back and at the same time as Rachel is like freaking out about the money, Anna Delvey is being kicked out of yet another hotel for not paying. But this time, this hotel, the W, seizes all of her stuff. So they're like, bye bye. And now we have all of your belongings. So she is officially rendered homeless with not like a stitch of clothing on her back except the oh dress she was God. wearing. So she um she shows up to her personal trainer's apartment sobbing and it's like, I need a place to stay. And the personal trainer immediately is like red flag meter going off. And it's like, no, like you cannot stay here. And she's like, please, I'm begging you. Let me stay here. And she's like, fine, you can stay here for one night and that's it. And she's like, okay, cool. So she stays there for one night and Rachel is uh, like going crazy hounding her like follow ends up like following her around one day like literally does not leave her side from like three in the afternoon to midnight like they go out to eat together they're like hanging but the whole time rachel is like so where's my money so where's my money where's my money (sighs) and anna is like just trying to like not I don't know what she's trying to do, but she's just avoiding it. And it's like, oh, it's it's like this person's fault or like it's it's I'm waiting for my parents to send me more money just full. And Rachel at this point is like in a psychological warfare. And it's like, I need the money. It's sixty two thousand dollars. So. She also like guilts. She like manipulates Rachel into being able to stay in Rachel's apartment and. Rachel is like, fuck this, but you still are my friend. I do still love you. I want this to not be true. I want it to be that you're not scamming me and you just start in over your head with something fucked up. You can stay here for a night. 
So she calls the personal trainer and is like, listen, dude, Anna's in my apartment. She's sleeping. We need to like figure something out. And the personal trainer is like, oh, she was in my apartment the other night as well. And I also feel like something is going on. So they have an intervention. They like meet up with her for lunch, the two of them. And they're like, listen, we love you. We still want to be there for you, but you're not who you say you are. What the fuck is happening? Like, who are you really? And the whole time, Anna will not cop to it. And it's like, I I am who I say I am. It's like I was fucked over by like these banks and like my parents froze my trust fund and et cetera. Like, woe is me. Everyone else is wrong and it's not my fault. And they're like, you know what? Fuck you, dude. We're done. So Rachel goes to her office and she reads an article in the New York Post about uh, the district attorney looking into Anna Delvey for scamming a bank like Uh out of, I think, like $800,000. And she like has this moment where she's like, am I really going to turn in my best friend? Do I even like believe in this? And do I really want to be responsible for her going to prison? And ultimately, she's like, yes, it's worth it because I need my money. So she calls a district attorney and she's like, hey, I know this girl, Anna Delvey. We're pretty close. She stole $62,000 from me. You might want to look into her. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, we already are. We've been building a case against her for a year. Oh, my God. And the side completely comes down. So she is arrested um in 2017 so what happens is that she goes to LA and I think she's supposed to meet up with either Rachel or the personal trainer and in LA and she like says she's like going to some kind of rehab and she gets arrested in LA before any of that can happen um so she's arrested on six charges of grand larceny for scamming wealthy New York City business acquaintances in several hotels. According to the Manhattan DA's office, the thefts totaled approximately $275,000. So she like... She's, Honestly, not as much as I thought it would amount she, to. Yeah, she scammed more money than that, but I don't understand. Like, I don't really know. Well, maybe I guess that's what they were able to... to get her yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. That's what I think. Because I know that there was like a loan of 800000 There was the 62000 for her friend. Also, isn't it like... What does she owe to the hotel? 30000 Yeah, like that's already... Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, already much. so much. Plus, like, lawyer's fees she wasn't paying. And the, the place that she never paid for the event. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, because this Rachel, to this day, never got that money back. Oh, Yeah. She has, like, since, like, written a book and, like, written articles. And so she's, like... She's fine. She's probably fine at this point, I think. Like, yeah, she's, but she's that's still in. fucking... Oh, Yeah. That's terrible. She's um, probably the only one that I feel like officially bad for. Same. That's why I wanted to cover this because I was like, okay, like there's actually, at least it's not a victimless crime. Yeah. There was yeah. someone who like was collateral damage. And not only was it someone who does not have money, it's someone who like was your best friend, loved you and trusted you. Yeah. So like, girl, come on. That's really fucked up. Um, <laughs> you look at me again about the Thai food. <laughs> Sound familiar? Um, <laughs> Best oh, friend. Oh, yeah. So she tried to procure a $22 million uh, loan, which is like another thing that she gets uh, arrested for. $22 million loan. Yeah. So she Holy she goes fuck. on trial in December of 2018. She rejects a plea deal that would have uh, released her from jail and deported her back to Germany. Um, she just got out of prison this month, actually, like February 2nd, I think, is when she tweeted that she was out of prison. Um, 
And so she was in prison for like three and a half years, including like being in there for trial. Um, Ice said that at some point she will be deported, but she hasn't been yet. She's living in New York. Um, Anna, uh, come on the pod. I I messaged her. I would love her. <laughs> um, and she... Anna, let's go out. Anna. Let's grab lunch <laughs> on you. <laughs> um... I, I like read in, uh, I read like a few interviews with her from prison and I, I don't know. I thought it was like really interesting. Like they ask her, the reason I wanted her to come on the pod and that I wanted to cover this is because she says something about regret and they ask her like, do you, you've been in prison for three years. Do you regret anything? And she says, no, I think regret is useless. She was like, huh? She was like, I think it's just a useless feeling, emotion. She was like, do I, she was like, I can't go back and change anything I did. She was like, do I think that what I did was wrong to an extent? Yeah. But am I going to sit here and regret it for the rest of my life? What good is that going to do? A little sociopathic with as far as like her best friend the is best concerned. Friend. But everything. But I do. I mean, I do agree to an extent. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, but that's also, I, you know, I was thinking about this for my own life. Like I was, you know, thinking about the regret or remorse or whatever. Well, remorse and regret are different, first of all. Yeah. But Remorse, I think, is actually healthy and necessary. And regret is mostly an unproductive feeling. But I realize that that is very easy to say if you've, like, never killed someone. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like it's always people who have never, like, you know, accidentally, like, killed someone in a car accident or something that are like, regret's pointless. <laughs> yeah. What a useless feeling. Um, so I think it's very easy for some of us to say that. But I mostly agree with her. I would I would love to hear her thoughts on remorse, though. Like, I hope she at least has remorse for she what doesn't. she did. OK, says, well, then that's not, like, I mean, yeah. she does sound like a sociopath legitimately like she has a personality disorder, yeah. which is, hey, whatever. Well, like in the interview where they where she says all of this, they say um, over the course of her conversations, Anna never admitted any guilt, although she did say she felt bad about what happened with Rachel Williams in quotes, I'm very upset that things went th- went that way and I didn't mean for it to happen, she said, but I really can't do anything about it being in here, talking about being in prison. Um, and she goes on to say, I was never trying to be a socialite. I had dinners, but they were work dinners. I wanted to be taken seriously. Um, she says the DA's portrayal of her, as Anna put it, a greedy idiot, um, was untrue. She said, if I really wanted the money, I would have better... I would have better and faster ways to get some, she groused. Resilience is hard to come by, but not capital. Um, And she ends it all um, by saying, money, like there's an unlimited amount of capital in the world, you know, Anna said to me at one point, but there's limited amounts of people who are talented, kind of trying to justify that, like, it takes like a smart, talented person to like be able to use that money for what she's trying to use it for. Well, I mean, if the Wolf of Wall Street is proof of anything, um, she's about to make a shitload of money on her yeah. experience. So well, she's writing a book right now. Yeah, she's actually, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure she's about to make fucking bank. She's also on actually this. a great writer. Yeah, I, I mean, read her website. She seems very charismatic and like, you know, you can't you can't accomplish what she accomplished, even if it all, you know, ended up crumbling without some kind of talent and um yeah and she I, it's not surprising old? to me that she's a good writer so whatever point i'm trying to make is she's about to make a shitload of money and if she does not use that money to at least pay that friend back finally i know then i honestly am like 
absolutely fuck this bitch. I agree. Cause that like Rachel again, like she went like above and beyond to like really like she didn't want anything. She just wanted the money back. Yeah. Like she went above and beyond. I and, get like, it. Literally waited over a month to even call the DA. Yeah. And like really was like fucked up about doing it too. No, I mean, like I said, what she, what she's about to do now that she's out of prison will be the real test of like character. But honestly, cause, uh, like anybody can get in over their heads, especially when you're young and like have big plans. Yeah. Like I, I think what she did was shitty, but like the real test of like what kind of person she is, is what she's about to do. Yeah, I mean, I don't see her doing that, to be honest. Like, <laughs> I read her tweets a lot, and I, I'm, i like, enamored by her because I think she's a really interesting, intelligent person, which is what I said in the DM. Because <laughs> um, I wanted to let her know we're not fangirls. Um, though we're not investigative journalists, we are smart, and we like to have smart people on the pod. Yeah. Um, no, I'd still like to have, even if I think that she's abhorrent, yeah, I'd like no. to have her on the podcast I, for well, sure. I would, because I would <laughs> but like I said, I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> she definitely is not. I mean, I don't see her doing that right now. Her plan is she's writing a book. It's going to be about her experience in prison and how she thinks the prison system is bullshit. Um, Cause she said she, you know, she was like, I like witnessed a lot. Okay. Of Piper, how- whatever. Yeah. No, seriously. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we really need to hear from another white girl who went to prison for like <laughs> two seconds about how prison is fucked up. Um, and, <laughs> That's what we need as a culture right now. <laughs> and she's writing the book. She said she still wants to start like some kind of artist foundation. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, okay. It seems like con d- yeah, con. Yeah. I want to start a con artist uh, social club. And well, I mean, it. it she talks like <laughs> she she references her parents like a lot in in that interview with the cut. And like, I think. Like, there has to be something there, right? Like, she talks about how, like, all, all, the only reason I did this is because I wanted to be taken seriously. And, like, my parents, well, me and my parents only ever had, like, a business relationship. Like, they, they only supported me financially if they felt that I was, if they, if they were also taking me seriously. So I'm like, what is going on there that you were trying to prove yeah. that you're not like a dumb bitch to your parent, like a dumb spoiled brat to your parents well, I'm th- sure. while also having a personality disorder probably. <laughs> I'm sure Shonda Rhimes is about to tell us. You know, it's funny. Her parents in this interview are, they like respond and they're like, but please like, um, don't mention where we live because our very small town in Germany still doesn't know about Anna. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like a year ago that that. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they're like deeply embarrassed, but they have to be taking care of her right now because I've been looking at the photos of where she's staying and it looks like she's staying in a hotel or she's doing it again, like a nice hotel. Um, So like her parents must be. Well, she may have have a book advance paying for that. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Possibly. But I don't. A book advances wouldn't be that much. They're usually like a few hundred thousand. But. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but long term, it's not a Best Western. It's definitely a hotel in like Soho. Well, she definitely sounds like she's not great with money management. Yeah. So like maybe she's just fucking blowing a book advance on a hotel. I mean, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. I mean, she ran through so much money. She because the thing is that like when she was scamming these banks out of money, she at one point had like sixty thousand dollars, but she blew through it in like three months because. So it's like. Yes, Anna, you were trying to like, you know, make a business, but also like 
Yes, you were also kind of trying to live like a Kardashian yeah. because you were going on trips to Morocco. Also living in a fucking hotel. hotel. Like, That's like a, such a needless expense. Go live in a Best Western, like not a Leavenworth boutique. Or get an apartment. I know. You're living long term. You can just get an apartment in Bushwick. Yeah. Live in a room for $800 a month. Seriously. Done. Well, you can't do that when you're trying to. Yeah, but you can. Be, there's plenty of people who no, like I know. put on a front. Yeah. And then, you know, you can be dropped off at that hotel. Yeah. And then take the train back to your apartment. But like she could have just like lived in Bushwick and been like, yeah, I'm a cool socialite. Yeah. It honestly would have given her even more. She, God, the fucking trust fund kids she could have scammed in Bushwick. Anna. I know. Seriously. Anna, you do it again. There's plenty <laughs> of trust fund, especially in the arts. Yeah. Plenty of trust fund kids you can scam in Bushwick. <laughs> Believe you me. <laughs> Just kidding. I have not scammed uh, anyone in Bushwick, but I, I, I definitely know. I can see the targets on their backs. <laughs> I can see them on the L train. I don't scam them. I just make them my very dear friends. Um. <laughs> yeah. And then, the, then no are. scamming necessary. They like paying for your stuff because yeah. you're, I mean, that's, but that's the sugar baby in us. We know that our personalities are <laughs> yeah. good. So we're like, don't you want me around? And then we also are sugar babies in friendships. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, so who's the Anna and who's the Rachel? I'm the Anna. You're the Rachel. Okay, fine. <laughs> I guess I, I'll take that. Yeah. No, I could never um, do that to you. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you've made that pretty clear with the amount that you've paid for stuff. True. Yeah. I mean, I definitely like pay for my friends now. Like I am rich because I am so guilty the about way. the fact that I scammed my friends out of money in my early twenties and sometimes not even into, but like, you know, would do yeah, things well, like mooching at least. Yeah, I, I was, I was, I was, I was a mooch in my, a mooch. in my early adulthood. Um, for sure. Yeah. And now <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I will never be, uh, you won't catch me red handed. No. Yeah. I pay for shit like crazy yeah. for my friends now. And for even people that I just met, I'm like, whatever. I mean, I don't, I, and what I say, when I say like crazy, I mean within my budget, yeah, that's which what is I mean like, too. you know, I'll pick up the like exactly $100 tab for all four of us. Yeah, like I'll, I'm not going to really go $15 car. Yeah. I'm not going. Yeah. Literally last night <laughs> yeah. I, I paid for someone's $15 car. I'm like, that's kind of the amount that I'm <laughs> yeah. working with, that's but but that's also the kind of the amounts that I would mooch from people. So I'm like paying it forward. Or drugs. Like I, I, uh, anytime I like get drugs, we're doing them that night. Cause I'm giving them to everyone now. Yeah. I was such a drug mooch for so long. <laughs> Ooh, yikes. Um, yeah. Anyway, so moral of the story. What do we think? Moral of the story. Well, I mean, I think like the main of for me, like what drew me into her and then the moral of the story is like scam away in this capitalist society and like absolutely take advantage of rich people. I think that's fine. (laughs) Like, fuck wealthy people. Who fucking cares? Because they're all scamming the system anyway. Yeah. Like wealth wealth is scamming. Exactly. Yeah. But like, don't fuck over your friends. Don't fuck over your friends. Yeah. Fuck over banks. Fuck over like wealthy people to an extent. I think, you know, wealth is kind of a general term and there are plenty of 
legitimately generous, wealthy people that would probably be happy to help you also. Like you can just be someone's friend and gain a lot of benefits from just being around wealth. When I say wealthy people too, I just want to clarify. I don't mean like upper middle class. No, like I mean like 1%. Yeah. Yeah. Like these people. Yes, totally. I agree with that. And also I feel like that's like, that still counts as a victimless crime because that, that guy forgot that she owed him multiple thousands of dollars. That's like, that's a victimless crime. Absolutely. And also so many of those people, he was the only one that came out because they say in the article, he's the only one who will speak on it because everyone else is embarrassed. So it's like they don't even care that they lost money. They're just embarrassed. They're also embarrassed because it goes to show how fucking out of touch they are, that they let that kind of slip through the cracks. And how their world is just all a facade of like social. Yeah. If you can play the game as well as them, even without the money, you know, you can scam your like. I'm sure it freaked them out to be like, wait a minute, like who else is a fucking scammer? Can I see your bank statement, girl? Yeah. Yeah. And then also moral of the story is like, hey, you know, have your dreams, have your vision. But if you so catastrophically fuck up in this way, don't act like it was all in the name of that dream. Like the ways that she procured large sums of money that actually could have gone towards this thing that never really actually. Yeah. I just find that like it also, I mean, she just so clearly has visions of grandeur. Like she has a mental illness. Absolutely. Like to, to, set out it's one thing to you know like when we start this podcast we're like you know where where are the like you know best case scenario where does this end up of course you have those thoughts but when your goal going into a new project is like it there's going to be locations in dubai new york city paris i need a 55 million dollar i need the first location to be at this like crazy expensive yeah, it was a six building. Floor, it's a six floor former church. That's not how like starting a business works. Well, that's what everyone was saying to her too. Is, and that I think the more that people pushed back against her because she was 25 and were yeah. like, this is crazy. The more she continued scamming to be like, oh, fuck you. I'm going to prove you wrong. Which I do. Insane. I relate to a, like that a little bit. And I think that part of being a successful person is dismissing people's doubts of you. But there's difference, differences between people being like, people like you can't do stuff like that versus yeah. people being like, this is just literally, literally how it yeah, works. Like we're your lawyers and financial advisors. We're just telling and you. And it, it, be- it would benefit us for you to be successful in this. So yeah. we're not even being like shitty. Yeah, like, misogynist. Yeah, yeah. We, we're just like telling you what. Which is what she tried to paint to that. She was like, mm, it's just because I'm a girl. Which I'm sure there's grains of truth to that. But it's kind of like, you know, when people say that, like, any criticism of like Hillary Clinton is sexism. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's definitely sexist criticisms of this person. But like, wake up. <laughs> there's other shit going on here. Um, yeah. Well, Moral of the story. Yeah, I just can't imagine ever doing that to a friend. That is the part that really um, is fucked up to me. Oh, same. For sure. I'm pulling up the Rachel article because I just want to credit it. So if anyone wants to read it, they can because it was actually um, really good. So it's called um, it's called My Bright Lights Misadventure with a Magician of Manhattan, written by Rachel Deloach Williams. It's from 2018 and it's her. She got like paid. Oh, I forget how much by Vanity Fair where she works as a photographer to write this. But it's all about what happened from beginning to end from her perspective. And that's what made me want to do this episode. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's really good. Well, sick. Thanks for that was, you know, I have never 
like dove that deep into that story before. I've only ever heard like the headlines about yeah. it. So that was like legitimately riveting. <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah. I, I, I hadn't like, either until the other day. I was really excited to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for doing it. You're welcome. Yeah. Finally, I'm not doing something from 1910. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you did The Housewives. <laughs> true, 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 you did true, true. Demi Moore. Oh, true, 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 true. Um, well, great. Great. Um, write in your mistakes to the pod. Please. We love reading your mistakes. Oh, my mom is going to write in a mistake. Oh, I'm I really love. excited for to to read it because I know she's like told me about this mistake before, so it'll be fun to um talk about it on the pod. But um, so yeah, write in at bestmistakespod at gmail dot com. Leave us a review, please. Please leave us a review. They're so helpful. Um. Yeah, we're uh, very grateful for everyone who's left a review. They they just, you know, make us misty-eyed. Um, and, uh, hey, let us know if you if there's uh, something you want us to yeah. um, report on. Um, a famous <laughs> mistake or fuck Live up. from Best Mistakes. <laughs> let us know. I'm, I, I would be really interested to see what some of you would um, like us to cover. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, my next mistake is going to be one that someone suggested to me. Cool. I'm excited. Yeah. Cool. Um, or maybe the one after my next one, because I think my next one. Well, you whatever. Point is, very soon I'm going to be doing a request Sick. that I'm excited about. So yeah, definitely send in requests. Um, and follow us on Instagram at Mika Lamazzo at Anya Volts and Twitter. More Twitter, honestly. We're both bigger on like better at not better, but we're just more active on Twitter. I feel like I honestly would prefer if you followed me on Instagram because um, <laughs> I have more Twitter followers now. And I think that's the sign of a sociopath. <laughs> and I don't want that to be the case. All right. True. But follow me on both uh, sub yeah. only fans. <laughs> yeah. Um, send, you know, send us some uh, money, however you see fit. Someone told me last on... night that my content is unreal. So the reviews are coming in. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Also, you can support the podcast on Anchor. Um, I actually am going to legitimately work on the Patreon soon, like just setting it up. Um, so we're that's not that's not just in theory anymore. It's not a hypothetical anymore. We're doing it's, it. It's coming. Um, but in the meantime, there's a support option on Anchor if you want to just um, if you're enjoying the pod and you want to throw us. Money. A chunk of change. Work with Jenny Slate on Perks and Rex. Money, please. Money, please. In the words of Anna. <laughs> Money, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we love you. We love you. Bye. Bye.